The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. I will be talking this morning on God's will for your life. I thought you'd all want to know about that, so. Uh, pages are page 91. And before I get started, I have a few disclaimers. Um, first of all, I don't know much about God's will for your life, but I know it a little bit. So I hope that what I have to share is helpful. I'm also going to be honest with you. I have to confess. <laughs> I'm, I still struggle a lot with um, trusting God in the middle of my life, and I hope that um, what I have to say not only encourages you, but encourages me too. So, to that end, I'm going to pray as we get started. Dear God, I thank you so much for this beautiful day. I thank you that you are in it, and I thank you that you are God. I thank you so much that you are sovereign over all things, including our lives. And God, I ask that you might remind us, Lord, of that this morning. Um, I confess, Lord, that I am really focused on myself, God, and what others think of me. And I ask for your forgiveness for that because, Lord, I really want honor and respect, and I really want worship from other people. So God, I ask for your forgiveness. I do thank you for Jesus, and I thank you that he covers all of our sin, even my pride. So God, I ask that you would work in what I have to say in my heart and in the other hearts here, Lord, which you speak through me, and may your will be done, God, as it will. In Jesus' name, amen. So, God's will for your life. It's ironic that the title of the talk is that, because there's a couple different ways that the word will is used in the English language. One is for desire, and the, well, one of them is desire, so I will, I desire. Another way that that's used is this will happen. So, we will go to church, God willing. And... That's where I want to start, is that God's will for your life is kind of already decided. Like, it will happen. And it's because God is God, it's just his nature, that what he wants comes to pass. He created all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn, that in everything he might be preeminent. And it's a really good thing because God is a good God and we can trust him in that. And if you look in scripture, you find it everywhere that God is God, obviously. Um, Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Everything God wants, he does. Psalm 135, verse 6, 
Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. And regardless of where you look in scripture, you'll find that God does whatever he wants, because he is God. And that's both in nature and in us as well. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So both our hearts and nature, and basically everything else in creation, God controls. And it's striking to me that reading scripture, it's very clear on that, but my personal response is that I don't like that very much. I don't want God to be in control. I want to be in control. And I think that that's what Satan was talking about in the Garden of Eden when he said, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Like one of those things is that we would be in control. That's what he promised us. We're not, so it was a false promise. But we still desire that deeply. We want to be in control. We want to rebel against God and to rule our own lives. And so that's really striking to me because God is so not only powerful and sovereign, but he is good and he is kind and he is compassionate and he is merciful and he is gracious and he is slow to anger. And so really our rebellion against God is a rebellion against goodness itself, even though he is, the authority is also loving. And I guess in that, my question to myself and to you is, do you really trust God? Like, what is your response when you hear that God is in control? Like me, is your response anger or frustration? And I guess that would be a place to examine your own heart. Um, The thing is, we are told two stories. One story is the story that God tells us about who he is. And he tells that primarily in scripture and in creation, the things that we see around us. And Zach talked about that like the second week of personal worship training, that God reveals himself in his word and in nature. And he's very clear about who he is. But the other story that we hear is Satan's story. And he tells us something about God too. He tells us that God is not loving that God is not compassionate, that God is not powerful. And he has some fairly convincing evidence in the world. And I guess the question is not whether you hear both sides of the story, whether you hear God's story and Satan's story, but who you're going to believe. Whether you believe God and what he says about himself, or whether you believe Satan and what he says about God in his accusations. And so I guess... I have a clip, a sound clip, yes, that kind of gets to the heart of what believing God is all about and what faith is all about and what trust is all about. So I hope that it makes sense where I'm coming from, thinking about trusting God in who he says about himself. The cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it, a holy Hoping for the best. Do you want to restart it? Authentic faith is the All the way at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Authentic faith. The cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it. A holy hoping for the best. Is this how you think of things? Authentic. 
Authentic faith is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. Faith is not a call to believe in things when common sense tells you not to. Faith is not a worthless stand in the dark. It is not a crossing of the fingers and hoping for the best. It is not a leap into apparent nothingness. It's a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought. talking about what is authentic faith, and it's believing God. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, is do you believe God when he says that he is all-powerful, but he is also all-loving? Like, he loves you so much. And that is so important, because if he didn't, then we might have something to say in, like, I'm annoyed that God is all-powerful, but he doesn't love me. But the thing is that he also loves us. And it's striking to me to ask the question, not only do I trust God's power, but do I trust God's love? And scripture is really clear on that. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. Like God proved how much he really loves us in sending Jesus. And so if we're frustrated at him, it shows that we aren't trusting him. We aren't believing that he does love us at some level. So that's kind of my first idea, is that God's will will happen. Um, so then the question becomes, what about his will for me? Like, that's, that's what we all ask, I think, and it's natural, um, because we're all self-focused. But the thing is that God's will, his primary will for you, is to have your heart, not your, your hypocrisy. God's primary will for you is to have your heart, not your, your hypocrisy. See, I think when we think about God's will for us, we think about what we should be doing, and the things that we should be achieving, and the life goals that we should have. But really, God's primary will for you is that you would pursue him, and that he would have you. And so it's really um, important to think about that distinction between what we do 
and who we are on a heart level. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated on Friday about the fruits to root diagram. The fruits are the things that you're feeling or doing, but there's something so much deeper in the roots, in what you're believing about yourself or believing about God. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here. And Jesus saw this in his time in the Pharisees, in that they did everything right action-wise. Like, they had perfect spotless lives. And I think growing up in the church, we often get the idea that um, we wouldn't like the Pharisees if we met them. And yet, I think if we did, we would probably feel guilty about ourselves because they're such perfect people outside. Jesus said, um, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Meaning, they did all the right external things, and yet their heart, like, what they were pursuing internally was not God, it was themselves. He says elsewhere that they are like whitewashed tombs. That it looks pretty on the outside, but on the inside, it's dead. And that's um, what I mean when I say God's will is to have your heart, not your hypocrisy. God primarily wants you to love him and to be pursuing him. Another way to say this is that God is more concerned with what you are pursuing than with what you achieve. God is more concerned with what you are pursuing than with what you achieve. I think that one of the things about the culture in the US is that it is so achievement-based. We base so much of our identity on what we do and what we achieve. The job we have, the money we make, the family, the white picket fence and all that. But I think that God is so much more concerned with whether you are treasuring him more than anything else and with what you are pursuing. And this is everywhere in scripture. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, like what are you primarily delighting in? And he will give you the desires of your heart. Or Psalm 27, four, one thing I have asked of the Lord, this I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire and meditate in his temple. And the thing is that this is the one thing that the psalmist is asking God for. One thing I ask of you, O Lord, that I might dwell in your house all the days of my life. What is he pursuing? And uh, give me a second. This is the Psalm of David. So he is a king. Like, he's not pursuing the authority of kingship. He's not pursuing impact primarily. He's not pursuing what he can achieve. He's pursuing the Lord. One thing I've asked the Lord. He's not necessarily asking for success. He's asking for God himself. So, that is a question that I have been struggling with for the past few months, is that question of what am I pursuing? And I remember sitting in physics class, it was really random, and I was listening to the instructor and I was taking notes, but into my mind popped this question of what are you pursuing? And it struck me because I don't think that I am primarily pursuing God in a lot of ways. I think that I am pursuing impact so that my name would be great, so that people would honor and respect me. 
I think I'm pursuing uh, well, a sinless life, like the Pharisees. I think that I'm pursuing a lot of things more than I'm pursuing God. And I think another way to ask that is what do you delight in? Or what makes you happy? What's the first thing that comes to mind in the morning? What's the last thing you're thinking about when you go to bed at night? What do you daydream about? What do you long for? What does your heart yearn after? What do you ask God for when you pray? I think all these point to what we are actually pursuing. I think it's a really important distinction to make of what your actions say you are pursuing and what your heart is actually pursuing. So, I think Paul Bojit in his talk on Monday kind of struck this when he talked about spiritual, uh, what was it, short-term memory loss. And I think that like each of us struggles with short-term memory loss in that we forget what is most true so easily. We forget and rebel against what brings us the most joy because we want control and we want to be like God. And so I guess to myself and to you, I would say, remember the gospel every day. (laughs) It's really important. God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4. That is God's primary will for all people, that they would come to know him. Or 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's primary will is that you would pursue him, and that you would love him, and that you would be in Christ. I think that's what Hebrews 12 is talking about, is the daily reminder in the struggle to remember Jesus. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we run the race of life, we should have our eyes fixed and our focus fixed on Christ and on what he has done in the cross. And we should be pursuing him and his glory. So I think moving from that will of God to asking them the question, how do we make decisions then as we pursue God's glory? Once your heart is right, in a sense, once you are pursuing God, How do we make decisions as we go through life? And I think there are a few different things that we should remember as we make decisions. One is that you're not that important. I'm sorry to break it to you, but like we are one, each of us is like one person out of billions of people on the planet. And even if you're like John Piper, who has an amazing impact and God has worked so powerfully through him, like he is so small. And his impact in the scope of all eternity is small. So like, as you think about it, remember that. Psalm 103, 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. 
And to remember that you are small is a really good thing. It's really hard, but it's really good. Because we can remember that we're not that important. And that God is important, and we can glory in him. The Psalm 103 goes on to say, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And so our rightful place is remembering that God is God, and we are not. We are small, and he is large, and that is how it should be. And when we remember that and we live there, then we find joy. The John the Baptist talked about this when, um, so Jesus was baptizing at the Jordan, and John was also baptizing at the Jordan. And some of John's disciples came and said to him, hey John, so this Jesus guy you talked about, like everyone is going to him and getting baptized, not to us. And John said, one of the things that he said in response is that like, I can read it. So I don't misquote. Let's see here. Uh, if I can find it. Ah, here we go. Okay. John answered. He answered the people who were saying, all the people are going to Jesus. This is really bad. John answered. No, that's literally what they were saying. <laughs> because they were like, it's about us, right? We want to be big and we want to be significant. And we want to be like God. John answered them, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He was saying, Jesus would be greater, and I will be less. And in this, my joy will be complete. That are, those are literally his words. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And it's so striking that that is so against our natural inclination, that we want to be great. And yet, our greatest joy is in making Jesus great and remembering that God is great. So I think that's the first thing to remember as you make decisions, is that you're not that important. A second thing, I think, is to think about some of the questions I was talking about earlier in that, what are you pursuing? Examine your heart and your motives and your desires. Examine the way you spend your time and your energy and your money. I think they all indicate what you are truly pursuing, what you're truly treasuring. And I think until you get that right, making decisions will never honor God because you won't be pursuing him. But I think when you do pursue God, then you are free to make decisions that will honor him. And in that, I think one of the most helpful illustrations that I have heard is that when you're pursuing God and he is your primary pursuit, his will is not like a tightrope where you can fall off either way. 
Like he's not waiting for you to mess up and say, oh, you messed up. You didn't do what I wanted. <laughs> like his will is more of a valley in that there's freedom to kind of go back and forth from one side of the valley to the other, but the general direction is always towards God. So the specific decisions you're making are small steps along the way where the pursuit is after God. I think another principle thinking about making decisions is to be faithful with what God has given you now. I think it's so easy to think about the future and to think, I want to do this someday. I want to be whatever. And yet, if we're making decisions to that end, like, without thinking about what God has given us now, we'll never get there. And I don't know if that made any sense, but there's a parable that Jesus tells um, about some guys. It's usually what the parables are about. In Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, so the idea is that there's a manager who owns a lot of stuff, and he gives money to a few different servants, and he's like, I'm going on a trip. Take care of this money, you take care of this money, you take care of this money, and you be faithful with it. And so he goes away, and then he comes back eventually. And um, so in this, the talents is the money that the manager gave to the, each servant. He who had received the five talents, a whole lot of money, <laughs> came forward bringing, bringing five more. So he doubled what he had been given, saying, Master, you delivered to me a whole lot of money. Here I have made a whole lot of money even more. <laughs> His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I think in making decisions, we need to be careful to make sure that we're being faithful in the small things now. Because it's so easy, I know for me, to think, oh, I want to be a doctor someday. I'm not sure if I want to be a doctor. But anyways, imagine. I want to be a doctor someday. But unless I am faithful in doing my classes now and in studying hard now, I'll never reach that goal. So it's really important to be faithful in what you have now. And in that, God may, not necessarily will, but he may entrust you with more in the future. Another thing in making decisions is that you really need to be reading the Bible. <coughs> when you make decisions, you need to be making them from a perspective that is Godward, that is focused on God. And scripture is one of the primary means that God uses to turn our hearts to him and to show us what he wants. See, in seeking God's will, in seeking what God wants, and to know what God wants, it helps a lot to know who God is. And God primarily shows us who he is in what he says in Scripture. And so if you really want to know what God wants, read the Bible. No joke. Um, Colossians 1, 9 and 10. So, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. There is the knowledge of his will. That's what he's praying for. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There is increasing in the knowledge of God. And he's praying for filled with the knowledge of his will. So the two are tied very closely together, that when you know God, you'll know his will. And I think it's true in just normal everyday relationships that when you know someone very well, you'll know what they like and you'll know what they'll want to do. Um, so it's, yeah, really important to read the Bible. <laughs> I think another thing that you can do is examine your desires. I already quoted Psalm 37.4, but repetition is great. So it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you're pursuing God, he'll give you your desires. And so I think to examine what you want is a good thing, as long as you're pursuing him primarily. So examine your desires, what you want. Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a carpenter? Do you want to uh, be a social worker? And I think those are really important. And I think in the same manner, it's really good to examine your abilities because God has given them to you. That's kind of along the same lines of being faithful with what you have now. But even more so, God made you the way you are, and if we really trust him, we'll act in accordance with what he has done and who he's made us to be. Psalm 139 says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And he goes on. Psalm 139 is great because it says, like, God made you the way you are. You should live out of that, not trying to go against the mold of how he made you and what he intended you for. So examine your abilities. Another thing to do is examine your opportunities. If I want to be a doctor and I apply to medical school and I'm rejected, that means that either I should keep applying to medical school or I should examine maybe I should pursue a different life course. And I think that's important in making decisions in life is to examine your abilities, or your opportunities, sorry, and what open doors there are before you. Another way to say that is, if you can't walk a direction, don't try going there. Um, and lastly, I think, I would say, do something. I think it's really important that we not sit back and expect God to work through us without taking a step. Um, it's really hard to turn a car if it's just sitting there. So if you want God to lead you, you need to be walking forward. You need to be doing something with your life. And I think that's really important to remember. So as we close, I'd like to pray again. Dear God, I thank you so much for words. I thank you so much for ears. I thank you so much for life and for breath 
and for everything we take for granted. I thank you so much that you are gracious, and you are merciful, and you are slow to anger, and you are abounding in steadfast love. Truly, you are worthy of praise, and worthy of glory, and worthy of honor, and worthy of our lives poured out in sacrifice, worthy of us, God. So I ask that we might live lives that are worthy of the calling to which we have received. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.